it's time once again to stop pyramid schemes, scams, and other forms of corruption. If you missed your chance to pick up the original Illuminati pyramid plushie with an eye out for corruption, don't fear, she's back and better than ever. Makeship is doing a time warp campaign and they're relaunching some of the original campaigns and my plushie is one of them. So if you missed your chance about what, two, two and a half years ago at this point to grab the original pyramid plushie with the magnifying glass, she's back, but only for about two weeks. So if you wanna get your hands on one, head on over to makeship.com or just click the link in the description box to go right to my plushie. Today, if you look at who owns most of the wealth in the United States, you'll find some pretty shocking results. Roughly 68% of the total wealth in the country is owned by the top 10% of people. The minimum wage seems stagnant and the gap between the rich and the poor is quite startling. This is a trend that has just been getting worse for decades and we have one man in particular to thank for it, Ronald Reagan. Well, not just him, but he is a big part of this problem. When he first entered the White House, he did so with a few simple promises. He said he would fix the economy, help the people most desperate for financial relief, and provide a stronger, better country than ever before. Suffice it to say, he didn't live up to those things. Instead, the great communicator was more like a bull in a china shop, trampling everything in sight with little regard for the cost. His plan to grow the economy, trickle down economics, has become the bane of our existence. On the state of our nation's economy. I regret to say that we're in the worst economic mess since the Great Depression, but punitive tax policies and excessive and unnecessary regulation have stifled our ability to update plant and equipment. Excessive tax- In a shocking turn of events, it turns out that rich folks don't actually want to give their money away or develop more opportunities for those who are less off to make it on their own. And I know, who would have ever guessed? But as he slashed taxes for the highest classes, he did little to actually provide help for those who were struggling. He went about his business dismembering any federal assistance to the poor. Did you want to eat? Too bad. Did you want to go to college? Too bad. Everyone was now responsible for pulling themselves up by their own bootstraps, even if all they had was sandals. It was meant to be a time of hope and prosperity, but instead it was a time of rising interest rates, dwindling resources, and massive bank bailouts. Can you imagine what something like that would be like today? Hmm. Oh, wait, yeah, we can all imagine what that's like because it's happening right now. Speaking out against labor concerns didn't seem to be an option as the former union president slashed dreams of workers' rights to strike or organize around better pay. Some people and organizations were living large. The military saw an increase in the budget that was virtually unheard of. That budget is much more than a long list of numbers. It is part of a careful long-term plan to make America strong again. And the oil and gas companies were free to run the world as they saw fit with dwindling regulations. The Reagan administration and his now infamous Reaganomics has impacted almost every aspect of American life. But what's the full picture behind his lofty economic plans? What exactly is Reaganomics? That's what we're gonna find out on today's episode of Dark Dives. 
And hey, if you like learning about politics or even just talking about current news and what's going on in our world and our day-to-day lives, make sure to check out the Thursday live stream slash podcast setup that is over on my second channel, Illuminati, T-E-A at the end, or twitch.tv slash the Illuminati. I'm on a panel of six of us on there regularly, and uh, it's Thursdays at 5.30 p.m. PST for Mountain Time, because that's where I live, 6.30 p.m. We can and will resolve the problems which now confront us. And after all, why shouldn't we believe that? We are Americans. God bless you and thank you. In the 1980s, Ronald Reagan came barreling into the presidency with a promise to make America great again. And yes, I'm sorry to break your little hearts, but good old Trumpy Wumpy was far from the first to use that phrase. Only one man has the proven experience we need, Ronald Reagan for president. Let's make America great again. In fact, he followed a lot of Ronald Reagan's election playbook, but that's not what today's episode is about. Instead, today we're actually going to talk about what Reagan's plans were to fix a country that many saw as being broken. One of the biggest is his famous trickle-down economics plan. To stop inflation, we've got to put a ceiling on federal spending. We've got to crack down on waste, and we must lower our tax rates to encourage individual productivity. Now, in reality, Reagan's idea to upend the American economy is actually called supply-side economics, and it's pretty simple to understand. Basically, supply economics puts a heavy emphasis on building the supply of goods and services to bolster the economy. In essence, it just means that the government should put the most energy into assuring that people are willing to produce services. Enter trickle down. Reagan believed that slashing the tax rate in the highest tax bracket would have a trickle down effect. If the most wealthy held on to a majority of their income then, in theory, then they would have more money to spend on hiring more workers, paying them higher wages, and of course, producing more goods. The general idea seemed pretty simple and maybe could have a monumentally good impact if Reagan had only factored in one little simple problem. Rich people don't like giving away their money. And I know, super shocking information here, but Regardless of the fact, over his presidency, Reagan's administration and Congress drastically reduced the top income rate from 70% to 28%. And again, at first glance and in short term, it seems like the plan might've worked, at least for some people. Obviously the people in the tippity top 1% of wealth in the United States had more money to put back in their pockets. That's pretty obvious. In fact, between 1989 to 2019, the wealthiest 1% of Americans have become $29 trillion richer. That's trillion with a T, people, not a B, not an M, a T. And because I know I hear it, some folks already go, but but inflation, inflation, inflation. No, 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 this is not. This is adjusted with inflation. It's because of wealth hoarding, so there. So if this plan was to allow the wealthiest people in the country to get even more wealthy with no extra burden, then yes, the plan was in fact a success. But publicly, at least for what Reagan was preaching, that was not the plan. His plan was for the wealthy people, AKA those who supply the goods to hire more people, increase wages and contribute to the lower classes. But that hasn't come to fruition at all. Instead, from 1989 to 2019, the working families in this country have barely seen any increase in their incomes or wealth. Meanwhile, the cost of goods and services has absolutely fucking skyrocketed. Dare we talk about literally just a month ago, which is still persisting the whole egg drama right now? Eggs are so fucking expensive. 
And sure, Reagan's plan worked for about two seconds. The economy did get a nice boost after a recession and inflation was reduced to about 4%. But over the last few decades, it has severely backlashed. Research has shown that the trickle-down experiment has undoubtedly failed and has increased inequality across the board. So much for making America, you know, great. Despite this, some people still beg to continue to use the same method. And why? Well, money. The rich have the power. It's not very hard to understand here. Trickle-down theory works wonderfully if you're at the top, kind of like an MLM, you know, or like a scheme. It only works really good if you're at the tippity top. And, you know, when it works wonderfully for you at the top and you now have power and money, you also have the magical ability to spin the narrative, aka lobby or bribe the government and put the money where it needs to go to keep the economy shifted in your direction and your favor. But of course, there's more to Reagan's grand economic plan that has forever changed how the United States functions. He wasn't just here to cut taxes for the ultra wealthy, he was here to cut social spending too, because you gotta pull yourself up by your bootstraps, right? We must not be timid. We will restore the freedom of all men and women to excel and to create. We will unleash the energy and genius of the American people, traits which have never failed us. Our aim is to increase our national wealth so all will have more, not just redistribute what we already have. Okay, so for supply-side economics or trickle-down economics or voodoo economics, as George H.W. Bush referenced it when he was running for president against Reagan to work, which, okay, for sure. I call it voodoo economic policy. It just isn't gonna work. Uh, The government needed to also cut its spending. Now, the idea of supply-side economics is that the economy will actually run itself without government intervention. The government is pulling in less money in taxes, so it should be spending less money to balance out, right? That's pretty basic, that's easy to understand. For Reagan, this isn't exactly the way it ended up working out, though he did make some substantial cuts in certain places, most of which were social services. And I know, we can all clasp our pearls and gaffed together that the same man cutting taxes for the rich would also cut assistance to the poor. Who knew that those things went hand in hand? It's now common knowledge that our welfare system has itself become a poverty trap, a creator and reinforcer of dependency. Now, throughout his presidency, Reagan cut quite a few programs that we're actually still dealing with the implications of today. While cutting the spending for the ultra wealthy, Reagan was also running around cutting spending on government programs like student aid. Did you know that between 1980 and 1985, his administration, along with some friendly Republican Congress people and lovely conservative Democrats, cut $594 million in student assistance and another $338 million in Pell Grants. Now, instead of getting assistance from the federal government to attend higher education, freshmen were expected to take out student loans to cover their expenses. So as we all sit here patiently waiting to hear if our student loans will even be partially forgiven, we actually have Ronald Reagan to partially thank for this whole mess. So thanks. And because we can't stop at higher education, apparently Reagan also introduced budgets that drastically impacted poor Americans' ability to get food because who needs food, right? Haven't we seen, what was it? A Bloomberg article or something that came out a month ago that was like, oh, trying to save money? Don't eat breakfast. Uh, Does anyone remember that? I thought that was absolutely fucking bizarre. But anyway, that mentality existed in 1981. And in 1981, Reagan's administration cut an astounding $1.5 billion in federal school lunch spending. 
This, in turn, reduced the lunch portions available, reduced the number of children who were eligible for the free or reduced lunch programs, and apparently also called ketchup a vegetable so that they could claim they were meeting nutritional standards. Trust me, I wish I was kidding. You can double check my sources. They're always in the description box. But yeah, let me just repeat that in maybe sassier and shorter terms here. He cut school lunch spending for children. I'm not talking adults, even though adults also need to consume food. But for children, you know, think of the children, protect the children, we love the children. Cut the food for them, because fuck kids, they don't need to eat if they're poor, that's your parents' problem. And also because they couldn't meet their own nutritional guidelines, they deemed ketchup to be a vegetable so that they could meet those guidelines. Just incredible shit here. Do you eat everything, vegetables, fruits? Yeah, yeah, I eat vegetables and fruit. And you clean up your plate every day? Yeah. Continuing on though. In 1988, he decided that it just wasn't enough and proposed a budget that cut an additional $750 million from the federal school lunch program and food stamp benefits. Because again, poor people don't need to eat. They're too busy being poor, right? Fucking, I know I said I was gonna cut down on cursing. I promised. I said I was gonna cut down on the cursing and try and chill out a little bit because I've become a bit of a sailor here, but oh my God. Expletive, expletive, expletive. Now, as the proposal was introduced, many experts, including the executive director of the Food Research and Action Center, warned the public that this would be the end of the school lunch program as we know it. Robert First said, quote, "'If these reports on proposals for cuts are correct, you can say goodbye to the school lunch program. And over the years, we have unfortunately found out just how right these experts were. School lunches have gotten progressively less nutritious in the United States, and the free to reduce school lunch program has become increasingly more difficult for people to take advantage of without facing some sort of financial or other repercussion. And because I know sometimes people wanna be sticklers for wording here, when I'm saying for someone to take advantage of the program, I mean for someone to use it, okay? For someone to use the program, for their child to eat lunch while at school. Okay, am I, am I clear? I hope we're clear here, because I know some people like to get sassy with me. I can sass back. At least I'm working on it. Hell, we've even seen stories of schools threatening to put children into foster care because their parents couldn't afford to pay off their lunch debt, which again, that's another crazy thing to say. Like that's just insane that that exists because these are children and their parents are going into lunch debt because they're poor, because, you know, congratulations, we have Ronald Reagan to thank for cutting this shit literally decades ago before, you know, the kids being impacted by this were even born. So again, thanks Ronald Reagan. We love that poor kids aren't able to eat lunch because that's the American way. But wait, there's more because, you know, of course there is. His welfare spending cuts didn't stop at just the school lunch programs. He also decided to cut the seven-year-old Comprehensive Employment and Training Plan, which provided federally subsidized jobs to unemployed people. And just for some perspective here, this was a time where the unemployment rate was nearly 10%. And to just put that in more recent terms, in April, 2020, like the very start of COVID-19, remember that little little, little sketchy time, uh, the employment unemployment rate, sorry, was 14.7%. So remember what we did then? Yeah, we increased welfare to help people but Reagan, in a very similar situation, cut it. To him, welfare was something that people just took advantage of. And now I'm saying took advantage of in the the supposed bad way, the boogeyman way. Because again, sometimes nuance is just lost on people. But anyway, he adopted the now infamous welfare queen trope and told stories of people buying T-bone steaks with food stamps. 
the endless attacks against those who relied on federal assistance were almost always racially motivated, a horrific trend that still continues to this day. But for some reason, Reagan is America's darling to many conservatives and Republicans. All of this allegedly has been done as a way to balance federal spending and decrease the role of the federal government in everyday American lives. By the end of his second term, there were some new social services introduced by Congress, including the Family Support Act of 1988. But by and large, his administration was responsible for massive changes in how the United States assists our most marginalized populations. Theoretically, that all could have worked the way he planned and balanced the American budget too. But while Reagan was busy cutting food stamps, unemployment, low-income housing, and basically anything that could help people get out of poverty, he was also spending the new influx of government cash somewhere else, war. They're always making their final territorial demand. Some would have us accept them at their word and accommodate ourselves to their aggressive impulses. So I urge you to speak out against those who would place the United States in a position of military and moral inferiority. While Reagan was perfectly content with cutting certain things within the American economic system, there was one thing he was dead set on putting more money into, and that is the military. As he entered the presidency, Reagan was by no means quiet about his outward hatred of the Soviet Union. In the first few years of his presidency, he denounced them multiple times and called the Soviet government an evil government and the focus of evil in the modern world. As relations between the US and the Soviet Union grew increasingly sour, Reagan had a plan, peace in strength. He believed that peace in foreign policy could only be achieved through a rebuild of the US defense system. In essence, he thought that the US arms buildup would inherently put a strain on the Soviet Union. They would not be able to catch up to the money we were spending and therefore would be forced to come to some negotiating table and finally put an end to the Cold War that had been raging on for decades. And technically speaking, his plan did work. He is often credited as the man that ended the Cold War and some even credit him as being the cause of the fall of the Soviet Union. But at what cost exactly? Well, throughout his term, the president increased the federal budget allocated to the military by about $180 billion. And again, back in the 80s and early 90s, billions was like actually big numbers. Like now we're throwing this shit around like all the time. Like, oh my God, these tech billionaires, these tech companies making billions. Like now we're just like, okay, it's like the new millions because money is whatever at this point, it's just monopoly money in digital form. But back then billions was kind of like a big deal. But for some comparison, the federal budget allocated to the military increased by about $180 billion and the cuts to social welfare programs, about $140 billion. So again, we still spent more than we cut. Typically American, love that for us. Even as he introduced this new exploded budget and his development of what he deemed the Star Wars program, which yes, I'm dead serious, that was the name, economists around the country held serious concerns about how this exorbitant spending could impact the United States economy. To pay for the increase in defense spending, the domestic economy would need to see some massive growth. As Vasily Leontief, a Nobel Prize winning economist said at the time, Reagan hopes our gross national product will expand so much that we will be able to pay for higher defense spending without raising taxes. This is not likely to happen. In fact, I personally guarantee that it will not happen. And oh my God, what a shock, a Nobel Peace Prize winning economist knew their shit. And guess what happened? Well, not what Reagan wanted. What did happen though was his outlandish military spending ended up ballooning the American deficit and he wound up having to raise taxes to offset the economy. 
Now, this again is the same man that ran on helping the American people on smaller government and on lower taxes. But here we were doing the complete opposite and still dealing with the same issue today, decades later. At this point, this man is literally plant food in the ground, six feet under, whatever. I don't know if he was cremated, buried, whatever the hell. He's dead and gone is the point. And we still have to deal with the repercussions of his actions decades later. Absolutely fucking incredible. Plus, we can't forget the impact he had on the massive expansion of the military industrial complex in the United States, something that President Eisenhower warned against 20 years prior to Reagan's election in 1961. He said, In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. And yet, ta-da, here we are. Reagan seemed to develop a system that relied on cutting help to the poor to fund the growth of the military, something that has only continued. The military became more controlled by weapon firms, Washington representatives, and lobbyists than ever before, and it focused primarily on profits than the people who actually served. And I don't know if you guys know this. Again, I don't like to insert a ton of myself personally into here, but I grew up a military brat, right? My dad was in the military. That is literally how I grew up. And uh, the military does not treat their military folks well, and it does not treat their veterans well. Pretty much you are nothing more than a tool. I have friends in the military. I have my other like friends who are also military brats. I've seen their parents in the military. I, there's still a lot of military around in my life in the American military. And let me tell you, it sucks all around and nothing's gotten better. So like, let's just be clear. The profits that, you know, this money that's going to military is not going towards actually helping the people that are like in the military. Like they just get to suffer and rot and they all come out with fucking PTSD, different levels of disability and they're all fucked up. And I'm like, huh, how weird is that? That you go to work for a job and you come out permanently disabled and it's a large number. This isn't some minority. A lot of people end up fucked up and we're just like, hmm, no, that's totally normal. If that was any other job, any other privatized job that you come out disabled, fucked up to some degree, whatever's going on with you, you're just not okay. You're not the same person you used to be beforehand. We'd be up in arms about that, but it's the military. So apparently we give that a pass, but I digress. Now, over the years, this problem has only grown. And today the military industry has become one of the top 10 lobbying sectors of the United States. They spend over $100 million every single year to lobby the United States government to continue putting more money into buying more weapons and developing more divisions that lay dormant just waiting for something to maybe theoretically happen. In fact, in 2020, the US military budget made up almost 40% of the world's spending on military. And that's in comparison to all countries in the entire world and our spending on military. It vastly outweighs what we spend on education, public health, scientific research, infrastructure, et cetera, et cetera. And it shows. And again, to sorry to harp again, but while we're spending all this money on the military, 40% of the world's spending on military, we spend here domestically in the US and we still can't even take care of our military folks that are currently serving and the ones who have served. That's fucking horrific. Now, while Reagan may have started this trend, nearly every president since has continued it. And it doesn't matter if you're red or blue or whatever, all of them have continued it. Sadly though, this isn't the only trend that Reagan has brought to the country. With a hypothetical focus on small government and a love for supply side economics, Reagan also introduced a new phenomenon, decreasing corporate regulations. And before we go on to talk about those corporate deregulations and what Reagan has been up to and kind of concluding this whole mess that we're still dealing with today, I'm gonna take a moment to thank today's sponsor. 
This spring, HelloFresh is taking the hassle out of mealtime by delivering pre-portioned ingredients and easy to prepare recipes right to your door. Skip the checkout lines and get outside in the warmer weather because HelloFresh has dinner covered. And HelloFresh keeps your taste buds on their toes with 40 recipes and over 100 seasonal and convenience items to choose from every single week. With so much variety, there are options for everyone and every lifestyle. And HelloFresh is not just for dinner. In fact, HelloFresh has you covered for every mealtime occasion, from snacks to easy lunches to seasonal celebrations and festive gatherings too. And I know HelloFresh must've been listening to me because coming up in one of my boxes for Monday, May 8th, um, I have firecracker meatballs with roasted green beans and jasmine rice there back in my box, baby, back and better than ever. One of my favorite recipes. If you haven't tried it, I highly recommend it. But I'm also gonna be trying this quick kind of 20 minute recipe. It's called Galaxy Greens Ricotta Ravioli with zucchini, toasted panko and parsley. I don't know what the Guardian's recipe is all about, but I am so hyped to try it out. And I'm also gonna be trying the Greek diner spaghetti with feta because I just love feta. So I'm like, hey, that's a win. But again, HelloFresh has a little something for everyone. So whatever you're in the mood for, chances are they've got something along those lines. It doesn't matter if you're a vegetarian, vegan, you really wanna stuff down some protein, they've got you covered. So if you're ready to get started, make sure you go to hellofresh.com slash darkdives50 and use code darkdives50 for 50% off. Plus your first box is gonna ship for free. Again, that's hellofresh.com slash darkdives50 and use code darkdives50 for 50% off. Plus your first box is gonna ship for free. When Ronald Reagan was elected to the presidency in 1981, he was clear about what he was there to do. He believed that regulation of business inherently hurt the United States economy. And to put it simply, he was here to fuck some shit up. Well, I think the Environmental Protection Agency in many instances has gone to an extreme. I think of myself as an environmentalist. I don't want to see all this beauty around us wiped out or destroyed, but we've got environmentalists who wouldn't let you build a house unless it looked like a bird's nest. The energy problem is government interfering. The restrictions on the offshore oil drilling Almost immediately, he began to fill his cabinet with people who believed in developing federal lands rather than conserving them, stripping away regulations for the financial industry and weakening the ability of the US government to impose any rules on oil and gas. Many of the people he appointed were former employees of the businesses that the agencies they were put in charge of were trying to regulate. For example, the stewardship of natural resources on federal lands was given over to employees within the mining, timber, and oil industries. Meanwhile, environmental jobs were given to people who had consistently advocated for increased use of coal and lowered water and air quality standards. It was pretty clear from the beginning what Reagan was there to do. So when he went through his presidency, no one was entirely shocked to see multiple regulations slashed. Interestingly enough, before his presidency, Reagan actually had a relatively good history with environmentalism, but people pretty much just chalked it up to posturing so he could remain the favored candidate in a relatively progressive state. When he waltzed into the Oval Office, all of that seemed to change. The people he selected to run the Department of Interior and the US EPA seemed determined to undermine every inch of the United States environmental policy. For one, they tried desperately to gut the Clean Air Act only to be stopped by Congress. Then they slashed the budget for the EPA and reduced the number of enforcement cases by nearly 79% within the first year of his administration. They almost completely cut out mandatory inspections and seemingly refused to address any past instances of companies breaking the law. Throughout his presidency, Reagan issued more leases for oil, gas, and coal development than any other president in history. 
Certainly, gas prices did go down, as every conservative ever seems to love to point out now, but the cost of the environment and the impact of climate change was massive, and it's problems we now have to deal with today, and it's even more expensive now because it's been literally decades of this building up. I have some serious questions in my mind about the, the mass rapid transit advocates. The automobile, sure, today it's kind of a villain in everyone's mind because of so-called smog and and um, uh, traffic congestion. So congratulations, you saved a couple cents per gallon on your gas, and uh, now we have billions of dollars of ecological and environmental damage that we have to deal with. So I guess that seems like a fair trade-off, right? Then of course, there was also the concern of the workers within these industries. The administration severely cut education and training programs for miners and ignored the needs for mine inspections, which again, it put miners at an increased risk for death and accidents. Of course, this isn't the only place where his deregulations had a massive impact. He also decided to deregulate banks, and I think we all know how that turned out. Reagan decided to deregulate the savings and loans industry at a rapid rate. The federal requirements that set maximum interest rates were snuffed out, and savings banks were soon able to make commercial and residential loans and issue credit cards. Soon, banks weren't relying on real estate loans to make their money. They were investing in commercial real estate and giving away credit cards at the speed of light. While it seemed like the economy was growing and the housing market entered a boom, banks began loaning money outrageously fast and often too much money. And again, if this sounds familiar, it's because it's basically the exact same thing that happened in 2008. What in the world is happening on Wall Street? Two year no yields went from 190 to 166 in the blink of an eye. And the NASDAQ, everything and more has been completely wiped out. A lot out. of their customers are freaked out, waiting to see how low the Dow will go. They're focused on the Dow, not so focused on OPEC. Yes, OPEC did. As banks began giving out loans, Americans were taking on debts that they just couldn't break free of. With no regulation in sight, this pretty much spelled disaster. From the opening bell, the market was in free fall. After last Friday's record 108-point loss, analysts had expected a rally. Instead, uh, every, panic. soon there was a massive crisis on our hands and over $600 billion worth of bailouts were dispersed to the lenders. That was worth about $1,500 for every man, woman, and child in the United States. And this was coming from the same man that allegedly didn't believe in handouts. Unless of course, apparently it's a business. But of course there's more because, you know, of course there is. It should come as no surprise that Reagan was adamantly pro-industry and would do anything to protect their growth at any cost. For him, that also included disbanding and weakening the role of unions in the United States. Ironically, before his presidency, Ronald Reagan actually led a union himself. As an actor, he was a fundamental member of the Screen Actors Guild as they went on three strikes. While he was the president of the union, he negotiated residual payments and health benefits. But as president of the United States, he seemed to have a different viewpoint on unions. While he was campaigning, Reagan reached out to one of the most predominant unions in the United States, the Professional Air Traffic Controllers Association, AKA PATCO. He told them he understood their situation and would stand by them. In a letter to PATCO, he wrote, I pledge to you that my administration will work very closely with you to bring about a spirit of cooperation between the president and the air traffic controllers. Such harmony can and must exist if we are to restore the people's confidence in their government. Now, if I was the one reading that, I would feel safe and secure knowing that there was a president coming into office that would actually address my concerns. 
especially since he had a history of his own gaining success and happier working environments in his own union. But that comfort and feeling of being supported would be short-lived because in 1981, as Patco began to negotiate their new contract, things went south very fast. In these negotiations, agreement was reached and signed by both sides, granting a $40 million increase in salaries and benefits. Now, however, the union demands are 17 times what had been agreed to, $681 As they negotiated, Reagan's administration was working diligently in the background, creating what would later be called a hit list of union members that they should arrest if they decided to strike. Eventually, a strike did take place, but since they were a civil service union, that strike was considered illegal. Immediately, Reagan jumped into action and demanded that they return to work. Some eventually did, but others stood strong. Days later, Reagan fired 11,000 workers and banned them from ever working for a federal agency ever again. Months later, the union was disbanded. And the country reacted in shock as the former union president took one of the toughest stances on union workers in decades. Almost immediately, strikes seemed to disappear as negotiation tactics. Since his savage treatment of PATCO, the power of American labor unions was severely dwindled. Why wouldn't it? Paco was unceremoniously destroyed by a president that had promised to help them. That would surely strike fear in the hearts of anybody thinking about taking the same steps that Paco had. Previously, one third of all American workers were part of a union. Now, only about 12% of the American workforce is unionized. These are issues we're still dealing with today. And again, this isn't something that's universally Republican or right-leaning. Democrats have the same issue too. As a matter of fact, as recently as Biden and a this year, literally. Biden famously just literally, what, a couple months ago, made it illegal for railroad workers to strike and effectively destroyed any power they had to get better treatment, schedules, and pay. Basically, he did pretty much the same thing as Reagan at a time when, yet again, American workers are fighting to get the treatment they undoubtedly deserve. We have seen how companies and massive organizations treat their workers who are trying to unionize. This one event, like many others perpetuated by the Reagan administration, had a massive domino effect on the United States. To some, Reagan is the darling of American politics. Certain scholars see his presidency at a time of prosperity and massive change. But those scholars are also the same ones who also seemingly ignore the massive inequalities now plaguing the United States. Sure, he expanded the stock market and put an abundance of money into corporations' pockets. But since his presidency, we now have the largest gap in wealth distribution in the history of the country. The great communicator, as he was once called, certainly made an impact. But was it a good one? You tell me. But with all of that being said, that's where we're going to end today's episode of Dark Dives. And I hope you learned something new here today because I think this was kind of an important episode to have in general. People love to talk about trickle-down economics and and now Reagan was a great president and blah, 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 blah. But I really wanted to take kind of a deeper dive and take a look at what did he actually do? What did he stand for? What were the values? Where was he cutting taxes? Where was he imposing taxes? What was he actually doing? And is this really the legacy of a great president, especially when we're still dealing with the repercussions of those poor decisions like 30 something years ago today? And we will continue to deal with it in the future. Personally, I don't think that's a mark of a great president, a great leader, a great boss, a great anything. But hey, that's just my opinion. And of course you have yours, so let me know. And thank you so much for tuning in to the end of today's episode. I really do appreciate it. And uh, as always, I'll see you in the next one. Bye. 
Grace Pendergrass has been teaching for 40 years. She told me the president really cares about education. That he is interested in education and that he, even though some things have been cut from the budget, at least he is showing us that he's looking at education. All right, we'll let it go at that, for the time being anyway. But don't you believe I'm taking no for an answer. I'll never do that. I was right the first time. They are blue. So long, Pat.